Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Wednesday, March 1, 2023 reading of Regional Travel. My name is Don Dean. Today we'll be reading the following main articles. First, from the Denver Post's The No Section, Glamping and Mountaineering by John Meyer, published February 28th. Then, from Boulder Lifestyles Magazine, February 2023. First, Ski Touring and Uphill Skiing, and then Zapata Ranch. And finally, returning to the post the no section, Steps to Take When Your Airbnb is a Disappointment, by Sam Kennis for NerdWallet, February 17, 2023. We begin... Continuing the winter recreation theme we pursued last week with an article from the Denver Post's The No section titled Glamping Meets Mountaineering at This Starlit New 12,500-Foot Destination Near Telluride. Heated tents, stunning views, and hot meals await, but you have to climb, ski, and sweat to get there. By John Meyer, February 28th. Colorado's newest overnight backcountry experience offers the pleasures that come with backcountry hut skiing in its spectacular setting, but without the burden of hauling a 40-pound pack crammed with food in a sleeping bag. Located in the spectacular San Juan Range, the Bridal Veil Backcountry Ski Camp began operations last weekend. The guided trip takes skiers from a backcountry access gate at the Telegride ski area to a camp with heated tents at 12,500 feet in the upper Bridal Veil Basin. Sleeping bags, down jackets, insulated boots, and hot meals await skiers who only need to carry lightweight packs with their incidentals. A national travel and leisure website described it as luxe winter camping, and some might see it as glamping but co-owner Bill Allen views it as falling in the middle of a spectrum with glamping at one extreme and hardcore mountaineering at the other. Some magazines want to target a different audience, so they play up one side of it or the other, Allen said. We're not trying to make it a glamping experience where it's this super luxury thing. It's not like hardcore mountaineering, but we're trying to steer away from glamping trip. I think the target audience is the hut skiers, people who ski the 10th mountain huts and that sort of thing. Getting there involves about four miles of skiing with 1,200 feet of climbing, Allen said. From the backcountry gate on Telluride's Gold Hill near the upper terminal of Chair 14 at 12,000 feet, skiers descend into the Bear Creek Basin, climb over a 13,000-foot pass, and descend into the upper Bridal Veil Basin. The touring to get there from the ski area is not extreme, Allen said. It's pretty reasonable in terms of the distance, the elevation gain, and the terrain we go through. On a nice day, it's super mellow, a nice easy tour. You ski down very low-angle, moderate terrain to get to the camp. The tours are run by Mountain Trip, a company based in Telluride that guides trips on Denali in Alaska, Mount Everest, and the other seven summits, the highest peak on every continent, as well as backcountry ski trips in Alaska. Mountain Trip partners with Telluride Helitracks, a helicopter ski service which keeps the Bridal Veil Basin Camp stocked with food and fuel. 
Telluride Helitrax also runs its own trips to the camp. They can do fly-in trips, support the camp, set up camp, Allen said. It's their permit to have camp in that location. For hardcore mountaineers, there are opportunities to use the camp as a base for skiing steeper terrain. It also can be used to link with backcountry huts in the area, including one near Red Mountain Pass and another on Ofer Pass. The standard exit from the camp takes skiers down the Bridal Veil Basin, past the spectacular Bridal Veil Falls located at the end of the Box Canyon overlooking Telluride. The falls are currently frozen. Allen says the experience isn't intended for folks who have never skied on alpine touring gear, and he warns that sleeping at 12,000 feet can cause problems for people who are not acclimated to the altitude. It's really good for Coloradans, or people who have spent a few days in Colorado, Allen said. But if you're flying in from Florida, you shouldn't be spending the next night at 12,000 feet. It's no joke sleeping at 12,000 feet. The first trip happened last weekend, and plans are to conduct trips through the end of April. Prices depend on the size of the group. Three-day, two-night trips range from $2,748 for one person to $1,050 per person for four people. Avalanche safety equipment is included in the price, and gear rentals are available. A Telluride lift ticket is required and is not included in the price, but Telluride does honor the Epic Pass. Now continuing with the focus on skiing, before we turn our attention to other forms of travel, we have an article from citylifestyle.com slash boulder, February 2023, on ski touring and uphill skiing. Rediscover the original, sustainable way to enjoy the snow and keep fit with Davide Giardini. Walking is one of the oldest and healthiest forms of exercise, but let's just say it's not always the most exciting or time-efficient of activities for athletes like Davide Giardini. So how can thrill-seeking snow sport enthusiasts and endurance athletes like Davide elevate the principles of walking for peak challenge and enjoyment? Enter ski touring, also referred to as uphill skiing, skimo, alpine touring, skinning, or backcountry skiing. After growing up downhill ski racing and a decade of endurance sports, I was immediately hooked by ski touring, said Davide, a former professional triathlete, current athlete on the La Sportiva ski team who qualified for the 2021-22 USA Ski Mountaineering team and founder of the Boulder Skimo Club. It captures everything I enjoy in sports, a great workout on the uphill and the thrill of sliding on snow on the downhill in beautiful, natural outdoor settings, away from the mainstream culture of traditional resort skiing. While the Colorado ski industry is largely focused on traditional downhill skiing served by mechanical lifts, Davide notes that ski touring is actually the oldest form of skiing in the European Alps. Colorado is a prime playground for this activity, and Davide believes that Boulder boasts almost unmatched potential internationally for the sport. 
Coming from an alpine ski racing crazed family in the Italian Alps and having lived, trained, and worked amongst the Boulder endurance communities for over a decade, I can safely say that the Boulder area is one of the best areas in the world for practicing ski touring and building a community of like-minded people around it, said Davide. So what is ski touring? At its core, it involves hiking up a mountain on skis in specialized ski boots that allow free movement of the ankle and bindings that allow the heel to lift. Skins, traditionally made of mohair, are stuck to the skis to let you both glide and grip the snow as you move uphill. Once you reach the top of the mountain, you take the skins off the skis, make a few quick adjustments to the boots and bindings, and ski back down the mountain. Ski touring includes multiple subsets, each of which presents its own unique benefits and challenges. Backcountry skiing, also known as alpine touring, involves practicing this process of hiking up, then skiing down in wild and remote spaces, often away from cell service, in search of untracked snow. Avalanche safety, awareness, and training are paramount to this type of ski touring. Ski mountaineering is a specific type of extreme backcountry skiing which involves more extreme alpinism, climbing elements, and skills in order to reach mountain summits. Ski mountaineering racing, otherwise known as ski-mo, involves racing on a preset course against the clock and other participants. The course, which closely resembles a ski mountaineering adventure but in a more controlled setting, is often within a ski resort combining inbounds and out-of-bounds, ascents and descents. This sport makes its Olympic debut in 2026, with sprint races of three to four minutes that test athletes' skill, power, and skiing ability. Resort skinning, fitness skinning, or uphill skiing broadly refer to going to a ski resort that allows for ski touring on its inbound terrain with the goal of traveling uphill and downhill on its existing ski slopes for fitness, recreation, and a safe, controlled environment. Davide was drawn to ski touring for its vast opportunities for fitness, endurance training, athletic challenge, and exploring Colorado's world-famous ski scene in a different way from the mainstream ski culture. Ski mountaineering racing, in particular, called to Davide, and, in 2021, he launched the Boulder Skimo Club as a means to educate people on the sport and introduce its benefits to the more summer-based endurance athletes who live in Boulder. Ski touring is a great way to meet new people and keep fit together during the cold, snowy winter months, said Davide. I founded the club as a way to get people together, be the go-to resource for the sport in Boulder, and help break down its historically high barriers of entry. Having easy access to Eldora Mountain Resort, a variety of safe backcountry spots and many mountain peaks to explore are some of the reasons that Davide feels Boulder is primed to become a ski touring mecca. Davide notes that, in addition to its proximity, Eldora has had a welcoming policy when it comes to ski touring that facilitates convenient and safe access to practice the sport for both novices and more experienced athletes. I'm a huge fan of Eldora's uphill ski policy, especially this season, says Davide. 
the resort has welcomed inbound ski touring on its closed terrain for many years as a way to enjoy the mountain in a different, less traditional ways. For Davide, being a proponent of ski touring in Boulder is a long-term pursuit and passion. Ski touring is the way of the future for the ski industry, says Davide. It's greener, cheaper, and more sustainable than traditional skiing. The learning curve is quick, and it allows for not only a greater appreciation of the mountain terrain and one's physical abilities, but also a new way to enjoy the mountain away from the crowds. I find ski touring to be the perfect mix of so many cool aspects I and many other boulderites seek. An inebriating concoction of full-body weight-bearing exercise, the thrill and excitement of downhill skiing, and the joy of being out in the mountains with friends away from the crowds in an otherworldly magical setting. As a self-proclaimed minimalist endurance sport junkie, Davide says that one of the advantages of ski touring is its often minimal, lightweight gear load. But there are some basics that anyone looking to get into the sport will need. For skis, lighter, skinnier, and shorter skis are ideal for resort fitness skinning, ski mountaineering objectives, and ski-mo racing. Heavier, wider, and longer skis are ideal for backcountry powder days to travel and ski in deep snow. For boots, ski touring boots are unique in their versatility. Flicking open a top buckle allows for easy walking, while a simple lock converts them into regular alpine ski boots. Similar to with skis, light boots are ideal for resort fitness skinning, ski mountaineering objectives, and ski-mo racing, while heavier, more supportive boots are better for backcountry powder days. For bindings, Pintech bindings allow for free heel movement on the uphill and a secure heel lock for the downhill. For climbing skins, these strips of mohair or nylon material attached to the undersides of the skis by way of a simple yet sturdy tip clip and sometimes tail clip to provide traction for climbing uphill. You quickly remove skins at the top of the mountain for skiing downhill. Skins have a special adhesive that allows you to reapply them as many times as you want. For poles, ski touring is a full-body, gravity-defying sport. Poles engage the upper body and core to distribute the workload. Similar to an alpine skiing, they are also important for timing turns in the downhill. And finally, but not least, comes avalanche safety gear. If venturing into the backcountry, you'll need to know where and how to safely travel in backcountry terrain. Also carry special gear like a beacon, probe, and shovel, and know how to use them in case of an avalanche. Now continuing from Boulder Lifestyles for another article, and shifting away from the ski focus, although not really from mountains, we have Zapata Ranch. We make so many choices based on environmental and social impact. What we eat, what we wear, and now, more than ever, where and how we travel. Regenerative holidays are a concept that's not new in Europe and South America, where agro-tourism is a long-established tradition, but they're gaining new appreciation here in the U.S. 
Guests at farms, ranches, and retreats are part of the process instead of simply receiving the bounties of the land, and in turn learn new things and have a chance to connect deeply with a sense of place. Not only are these experiences designed to teach, inspire, and rejuvenate, but by your participation as a guest, you're supporting the larger ecosystem and those working on behalf of the land, water, and creatures that call these places home. Ranch Lands, that's the name of a ranch management company, operates cattle and bison ranches in the American West. They partner with conservation-minded owners to implement ambitious regenerative grasslands programs. In addition, they run a series of complementary land-based businesses including hospitality, fishing, an artisan leather shop, and retreats. Zapata Ranch, located on the eastern edge of the San Luis Valley, borders the incredibly scenic Great Sand Dunes National Park and Preserve. The ranch and a formidable bison herd is owned by the Nature Conservancy and managed by ranch lands in a partnership model that emphasizes environmental conservation practices. As a guest at the ranch, you can ride horses through the Madano and the Dunes, wranglers work with all skill levels and ages, dine on local produce and meat from the ranch, walk to waterfalls and through the sage prairies, and learn from an incredible host of teachers who grace the ranch from March to October. For color lovers, Edie Yuri's Natural Dyeing Workshop in July, that's dyeing spelled D-Y-E-I-N-G, Dyeing Workshop in July is the perfect marriage of study, stewardship, and sweetness to fill one's cup. Edie helps participants gather wild plants from the ranch and dye gorgeous silks, cottons, and linens. Participants will create a color story from plant dyes drawn from the landscape, creating a keepsake of high desert hues. Registration is limited. To sign up for Edie's class and more information on Ranchlands and upcoming classes, visit website ranchlands.com. Ranchlands, one word. Ranchlands.com. Now, returning to the Denver Post's The No section, we continue with an article that should be useful for travel any time of year. It's Steps to Take When Your Airbnb is a Disappointment, published February 17th by NerdWallet. Airbnb complaints seem to be on the rise. From griping about cleaning fees, to complaining about the impact on neighborhoods and real estate markets, it seems like everyone has an opinion of the vacation rental platform. Yet, this sentiment runs counter to actual behavior. Vacation rentals like Airbnb are more popular than ever. Total U.S. demand was up 19.8% in December 2022 compared with the previous year, and up 31.7% compared with 2019 according to AirDNA, a vacation rental analytics platform. So, while some Americans may be getting fed up with vacation rentals, more people are staying at them than ever. Many frequent travelers have Airbnb horror stories, tales of dirty bathrooms, inaccurate photos, and unprintable bizarreness. Yet, while it's easy to complain about these disappointing vacation rentals, it's harder to know what to do if you don't like your Airbnb. Should you talk to the host, contact customer service, 
request a refund? Well, it depends. For most problems, such as a leaky faucet or dirty sheets, simply communicating these issues to the host is the best first step. Communication is key, said Jenny Raddick, an Airbnb superhost in the Poconos region of Pennsylvania, at a vacation rental consultant via email. For many hosts, it's just one person running one Airbnb unit. They more than likely put a lot of thought and care into the home. So, if there are any small problems, good hosts are quick and eager to remedy them. Most hosts want to provide a high-quality experience for guests, since their rental success depends on positive guest reviews. So, it's always a good idea to give the host the benefit of the doubt using constructive and kind communication that assumes good intent. Ideally, hosts will jump to fix any small or smelly issues at check-in. But even when dealing with an attentive host who's eager to solve any problems that come up, it's a good idea to document these issues early and thoroughly. A picture of bed bugs or other insects with a timestamp will help prove that it wasn't clean upon arrival or at some other point during your stay. This is especially important for any issues that may pose health or safety concerns, such as faulty locks or malfunctioning fire alarms. Documenting the problem clearly and sending it to the host via the Airbnb app will leave a record in case customer service gets involved. Of course, some things aren't so easy to capture with a camera. Funky odors, for example, don't show up on even the most advanced phone cameras. So, writing out these concerns to the host in the app, when possible, is the best way to log them. I was once asked to document a live bat that got into my Airbnb cabin. Turns out that's really hard to do. And then, if these steps don't work, it's time to escalate to Airbnb customer service. If you've given the host the benefit of the doubt, expressed your concerns clearly, and the issue hasn't been resolved, it's time to take it upstairs. You can look in the help center for any resources that cover your issue, or reach out to customer service directly through the app, the website, or the phone. Airbnb offers an insurance policy for both hosts and guests, as well as a resolution center for mediating issues. Radic said, "Guests and hosts can request money for any reason they choose, with the receiving party given the option to accept or decline that request." In the case of my cabin bat, the host offered me a 50% refund on the affected night. I considered this fair, and the refund was managed through the app. Airbnb has a complex refund policy for bad experiences, so it's hard to know for certain if you'll be due one. These two policies cover many issues that may come up. First. Accommodations are not reasonably clean and sanitary, including bedding and towels. Guests can expect the property to be free of general health hazards such as mold, pests, or mice, or other vermin. And second, special amenity or features described in the listing is not present or does not function. Again, having evidence and providing appropriate documentation is critical for receiving an Airbnb complaint refund. And finally, keep it simple. 
It's easy to get caught up in frustration of a vacation rental that's not as advertised or doesn't live up to your expectations. But resolving the problem doesn't have to be an ordeal. Again, the three main steps are 1. Contact the host with your concerns. 2. Document everything with pictures when possible or in writing. And 3. Contact Airbnb support if the host hasn't resolved the issue satisfactorily. Keep in mind that Airbnb hosts, unlike hotel companies, are often real individuals with real lives. While they may not provide the immediate service of a hotel front desk, cutting them some slack and assuming the best, while documenting everything, will help you manage your disappointment if you don't like the place. NerdWallet author Sam Chemis can be contacted by email at schemis, S-K-E-M-M-I-S, at nerdwallet.com. Thank you for joining us for Regional Travel. My name is Don Dean. Welcome to 2023 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. After many failed legislative efforts, the secretary seeks to write off nearly a half trillion dollars in loans for over 40 million borrowers. No statute authorizes this sweeping action. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in two cases relating to President Joe Biden's student loan debt relief program. Biden v. Nebraska aims to understand whether states have the judicial standing to challenge the program and if the program exceeds the statutory authority of the Secretary of Education. Missouri, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, and South Carolina have joined the suit. A central issue in Missouri is whether the state's higher education loan authority would lose revenue from student loan forgiveness, making it less able to fund its own financial aid program. Meanwhile, Department of Education v. Brown tackles whether the relief plan had any basis in the 2001 Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act. U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogger said the respondent's case goes against what they'd expect from a win. On standing, respondents' asserted injury is a complete mismatch for the relief they seek. They claim to want greater loan forgiveness than the plan provides, but they ask this court to hold that the HEROES Act doesn't authorize loan forgiveness at all. The House Foreign Affairs Committee examined reports Chinese officials are weighing whether to provide aid to Russia in the war against Ukraine. Earlier, the committee announced legislation authorizing the president to ban TikTok, a social media app controlled by a China-based firm. Committee Chair Michael McCall addressed other shows of strength China has used in recent weeks. From using a spy balloon to surveil some of America's most sensitive military sites, to their theft of upwards of $600 billion of American IP every year, much of which goes into their military, to their continued military aggression and expansion in the Indo-Pacific. The newly formed House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party called former National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster to testify. Committee Chairman Mike Gallagher said the committee will not allow the Chinese Communist Party to lull the U.S. into complacency or submission. And the House Homeland Security Committee held a hearing on immigration and border policy, specifically to highlight how it affects families with members who've died from overdosing on fentanyl. 
While Republicans have been working to link immigration and border crossing to drugs, the Cato Institute finds 77% of drug smugglers are U.S. citizens, not illegal immigrants. Representative Clay Higgins of Louisiana expressed his disdain for how issues with the southern border have only grown in recent years. We want citizens of every land to come to this country legally. Our border is wide open and out of control, and Americans are dying because of it. I'm Edwin J. Vieira for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Do you have concerns about falling? A matter of balance classes can help to reduce those concerns and increase the activity levels of older adults. Classes help participants learn to view falls and concerns about falling as controllable, set realistic goals for increasing activity, change their environment to reduce fall risk factors, promote exercise to increase strength and balance. Classes are designed to benefit older adults who are concerned about falls, have had a fall in the past, restrict activities because of concerns about falling, are interested in improving flexibility, balance, and strength, are age 60 or older, ambulatory, and able to problem solve. Trained coaches teach eight two-hour classes. To join, contact Barbara Lyons, Project Coordinator at Tri-County Health Department at 720-200-1572 or B-L-Y-O-N-S at T-C-H-D dot o-r-g AINC programming is brought to you in part by Awana Brands enhancing customers lives through the responsible use of cannabis cannabis